spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. Then you'll see that it is not the spoon that bends, it is only yourself. And welcome back to episode number 147 of Old Ute Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With us in studio, as always, Sasha Bloom, Wayne Thompson Jr., 97.1 ZHT. And over the phone, we have a special treat for you guys. We have a magician from Masters of Illusion on CW, Michael Grandinetti. How are you, Michael? I'm good. How are you? Dude, I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm, I'm really glad to have you on this show. I've actually seen your show. First of all, I just want you to know that I am a big fan of magic, like a huge fan. What can you tell us about season three of Masters of Illusion? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I, I, it's always good talking to you guys. And I'm really excited about this season of the show. You know, it's, it's, it's our third season, as mentioned. And the goal for this year was to figure out a way to top what we've done in the past. You know, after you do two seasons, what are you going to do with season number three that's going to be different? And so that was our focus, and we really came up with uh, a number of things that are really different that I can't wait for people to see. So it's hosted by Dean Kane. The premiere is on May 20th at 8 p.m. on CW, correct? Correct, yes. So how is it like when – so doing, a, 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 doing magic acts in front of a live audience, is that, is that different when you have to film it on TV? Like where, where – uh, what's, what's that like? Well, that's a great question. You know, you have to be, first of all, it's very important to have the live audience there because I think that's one of the things that conveys to the people watching on television that what you see is what you get. But also, when you shoot magic for television, when you film magic for television, you have to be very careful because audiences today, they're very smart. And I think the first thing that they're going to think is, well, if I were there, I would see something different. You know, are they just using television technology or what have you? But one of the things that we try and do to combat that is use television to our advantage. And by that I mean take the cameras around, behind, sometimes even underneath the illusions, and give the home viewer a view of the magic that they wouldn't even have if they were there live. So, yeah, we we try and be very careful with it so that the home viewer knows everything that they're seeing is absolutely happening live on stage, and they have a perfect view of it. You don't see a lot of hard cutting in your shows in terms of going from camera one to camera three. You kind of really stay with one camera. Is that done on purpose? Yeah, that, that's called the magic shot. When you're shooting magic on television, the magic shot is very important. Uh, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> so if you're going to make somebody disappear and you're going to put them, let's just say, in some type of box, right? From the time the person gets into that box, you cannot cut away, even to a different angle, to anything or else in that instant, you know, a large percentage of the audience is going to go, ah, they just did something. So you can't, even if you didn't, which, which, you know, you don't, but, but that's what people are going to think. So <clears throat> you have to, from the time the magic starts, you have to make it one continuous camera shot so that they know nothing cut away. They're not missing, they're not missing, you know, an inch of the action. It gives you credibility, right? To stay on that one camera. Absolutely. It's like, you know, if you're there watching live, you know, you just, you're seeing everything continuously. So we want to simulate that through television. 
What was it like to perform at the White House? That was an amazing experience, and that was one of those things that, you know, even while you're there doing it, you kind of have to pinch yourself and go, is, is this real? Am I, am I really here? <clears throat> it was it was amazing. It, it was, so the Secret Service, first of all, had to go through all of our stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, as you can imagine, they're very careful about what gets in the White House gates, understandably, as they should be. Um, we had a whole list of things that we couldn't do. We couldn't bring fire. We couldn't bring, you know, sharp objects. We couldn't bring, you know, <laughs> there, there was a whole bunch of things we couldn't do. So we kind of had to adjust our show. Uh, happy to do that. Um, but, but when it came time to the performance, you know, it, the audience was fantastic. The president was about, you know, 50 feet away with his family. And it was, it was surreal. It was, it was an amazing experience. You had major butterflies, I assume? Like, is it harder to do it in that room than in front of a Super Bowl crowd or an NBA crowd? No, you know, the, the butterflies don't come doing the show. They come right before you walk out on stage. It, it, I wouldn't call it nervousness. I would call it anticipation for getting out there, and you kind of can't wait to get started. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit me, as weird as it sounds, it doesn't hit me anymore in places like the White House or in stadiums uh, than it you know than it does anywhere else. It's just I love being out there, so I just can't wait. I think the antici- the anticipation and the excitement more than anything else is what I feel. But no, they're they're you know they're um they're not as nerve wracking for me again because I just love doing them. So yeah. Were you able to do any like levitation at the White House though? Like they did they allow you to do that? Like say you know Barack Obama was. <laughs> <laughs> so, that she, she wanted to try and see. I mean, he probably wasn't one that, you know, you could do that with. But was that something that was allowed? Were you able to do that? Kind of like what you do with audience members? Yeah, no, we couldn't We couldn't float the president. That, that, <laughs> so, <laughs> they had, uh, you know, that, that was one of the strict rules. <laughs> you couldn't steal his wallet, nothing like that. <laughs> Get the yeah, nuclear right, passcodes. Right. <laughs> Right under no fire and no sharp objects is no floating the president. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what got you started in magic? Like, did you did you start when you were young? Like, like, wh- tell me about that. Well, I got a magic set for Christmas when I was five. I think like a lot of kids do. A lot of a magic set's a pretty popular gift. Um, but for some reason, I was just hooked. I mean, I just it just, it just drew me in, and it was like everything else I got that Christmas I just ignored, and I was just just focused on this magic set. Uh, and that was it. You know, I, <clears throat> I I took it in for show and tell in kindergarten and when I was five. Like, and for some reason, it worked for me. The, the, the teachers smiled, the kids reacted, and you go, you know, for a shy kid as I was, you go, boy, this is I want more of this. So it just made me completely addicted to 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 magic and to learning as much as I could. And I started to do shows around my hometown from Pittsburgh. Started to do my to to, to do shows when I was about twelve. And and that was it. I was off, excuse me, off and running with shows, and I was very goal driven. I was always driven to just keep trying to go a step beyond what I had done before, and I think that attitude helped me a lot. That's interesting. So you were able to almost take a competitive approach to becoming a better magician. Oh, completely, completely. And it wasn't about competing with other magicians uh, or looking at what anyone else had or did and going, you know, I want to beat that. It was competing with myself. So it was, you know, constantly trying to make my show bigger. It was constantly trying to, every two years, I would stage a show in a different location for the general public uh, back in Pittsburgh. You know, when I was 17, we did it at my local high school. When I was 19, 
we did one at the big call at the big uh, auditorium at my college uh, when I was 21. We did a we did a big show at one of the major theaters in Pittsburgh, and it was always setting those goals. And through each of those, growing the show, making it bigger. By the time we got to that one, when I was 21, uh, at the theater in Pittsburgh, I had I had built a show that had some pretty big stuff. I had motorcycles that appeared and disappeared, and uh, you know, levitations where people would float high in the air. And we did this really dangerous escape from these from between flaming spikes I had to get out of. And that's actually how NBC saw me. They saw me from that show. Really? They saw that escape. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that kind of caught their eye. I was watching an interview with Penn Gillette from Penn & Teller, and he discussed early on in his career how he was worried that people would perceive him as a liar. So he kind of went into juggling. Have you ever had that issue of being perceived as a liar or... Dishonest. Dishonest. Well, I think it's all how you present magic, and 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 by that I mean, I mean, if you if you watch a movie, you know, at its core, a movie is dishonest. You know, the person's not really flying. You know, you know, you know, Superman's not really flying. You know, you know, the stories of aliens aren't 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 real. But you know, I think what you need to do is present it in a way where it pulls the audience in and makes them kind of forget about all that stuff. And, and kind of like when you watch a movie, just just let go and, and, and treat it like the fantasy that it is. So no, I, you know, I'm very careful to present it in a way that's not confrontational. It's never about, look what I can do, you can't do this. You know, when you do, if you were to present it like that, I think that's where people would start to think about the, the dishonesty and maybe the negative connotations. But if you present it in a way of, you know, isn't this great? Look what I, I love doing this. I hope you guys love it too. I hope you guys are amazed. Let's all be amazed together. I think people let go and they just, they just, you know, believe in it even for, you know, a couple of hours. So what, can you tell me a little bit about maybe the mindset of being behind a magician? Like, are you emphasizing like the showmanship aspect or do you have to like balance that with, you know, like the technique of doing the actual trick? Like which, which part of that is more difficult to do? Well, that's a great question. You know, there's a lot of elements that go into being a magician. And it, it, it's, yes, it's the showmanship. It is the, it's creating the overall presentation, which involves, you know, staging, choreography, lighting, scripting, you know, coordination, um, music choices, uh, all these elements that go together to create one theatrical kind of picture. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's focusing, 90% of my day is focused on, you know, making sure that all the illusions that we perform have all those elements exactly where they need to be. It's not like if you're a musician, if you're a piano player, and you hit a bad note, you can keep going with the song, and the audience is going to be very forgiving, you're going to be fine. As a magician, if you hit, you know, a bad note, if you make a wrong move, if the lighting isn't perfect, and it exposes one small piece of the magic, that has a lasting effect on the whole rest of the show. Because the illusion is broken, the fantasy is broken. Even though they know it's not real, you just you, you don't ever want to you know actually convey that to the audience. So it's about making sure all those pieces you know are, are just moving like a well-oiled machine. Wow, that's amazing. So you, it's... you know, I don't think oh, I was just saying, I don't think people you know that's one aspect of magic that I don't think people really think too much about because our goal is to make it look easy. Our goal is to make it look like walking through a wall or floating in the air is just effortless. So I think, you know, because it's supposed to look effortless, I don't think audiences even realize how much 
how much work and how many details are involved. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> it seems like the illusion's hidden in just making it this complex thing look really, really simple. That, that's exactly it. That's it. You want to make the impossible look like it's easy. From a personal level, is it more fun for you to make a child smile or to impress his father? Both. Yeah. Both, for different reasons. So, so you know, when you're making a child smile, I mean, that's, I mean, that's like the top of the mountain. It's great. You know, you're giving them a sense of amazement, a sense of wonder. You know, I remember what it was like when I was a kid, and I would watch magic and, and feeling that sense of amazement. And, and um, to be able to do that is just, it doesn't get any better. To make an adult amazed, you know, by the time we reach adulthood, we're, we're, people are cynical, they're jaded, they've seen a lot, they know a lot. So if you see an adult amazed, you know that you are kind of transpiring all of that stuff and making them feel like a kid again. So that is, you know, I love that as well. So, no, I, I got to go with both on that. And then I have a personal favor to ask you. Is it possible that you can make Johnny disappear for me? <laughs> <laughs> or at least shrink him? <laughs> yeah, can you shrink well, me to this? <laughs> I, I, I take requests. Where would you like to reappear at? <laughs> <laughs> a prison far away? <laughs> Um, so when you when you do a, a performance as opposed to a theater, say like more a halftime show at a basketball game, do you have to compensate your act for that? Like how do you like how do you prepare for doing an arena as opposed to a theater? Well, the stadiums and the arenas they're definitely challenging. Um, we've done about twenty of them uh, so far, and they're completely different because I mean you're performing with people watching from 360 degrees. Uh, they're looking down at you from high up. Uh, if, if you're doing an outdoor stadium, then you're contending with the weather, the wind, the sunlight, <clears throat> things that you can't even really predict uh, too much in advance. So we, we are very specialized. When we're rehearsing or we're putting a show together for a stadium or an arena, we will try and simulate those conditions in our rehearsals. Uh, I'll set up cameras and shoot our rehearsals from you know every possible angle, and I'll study them just to make sure everything looks good. We've even put cameras sometimes on, on tall ladders and shoot straight down, trying to simulate what it's like looking down from a you know from high up in a stadium. Uh, and yeah, you have to be. You can't just. It's not apples to apples. You know, you have to you have to adjust it to fit because those stadiums and arenas they're very specialized. Uh, but that said, when you go out there, I think people are so un, they're so not used to seeing magic in that environment. Uh, for me, talking about watching people respond. Man, it is so much fun to watch them respond in those stadiums and arenas because they're just, I think the magic looks, you know, more impressive in those wide open spaces, but also they're just so not used to seeing it in that environment. You get some great reactions from people, and, and that I love the most. So I work for the TV crew for the Utah Jazz, the NBA team in Salt Lake City. Do you work with the house feed camera guys, or do you bring in your own camera guys and plug into their wall? So uh, that's a really good question. So uh, we will work with their camera guys, and what we will do is we, we have a shot list, and that I will that I'll send in advance, and that way their production team can look at it and it tells them exactly how to film the show. Uh -huh. And I found that the camera guys, at these you know, who work at the stadiums and who work with the sports teams, they're just fantastic and professional, and they know their stuff inside and out. So. You know, they look at that list and they, you know, they get it. And then we, then we, we rehearse it and we rehearse it with them. And I will, 
we'll rehearse it with me and we'll rehearse it without me and I'll kind of watch their shots and just make sure everything everything looks good because you know, especially in the stadiums when you have 70,000 people there some people are going to rely on watching the screen so you want to make sure that that it looks absolutely perfect so yeah that's a great question I, I'm very careful about that is it difficult being in an NBA arena because all the fans are there to watch the Bulls versus the Clippers and no one, you know, they don't plug the halftime show, generally speaking. So you're performing for people that are wanting to go to the bathroom, get beers, check out their phone. That's got to be tremendously difficult. I'll tell you what, I was, when we first started doing these, I was, I was nervous. I thought to myself, you know, is there going to be a mass, um, like a mass exodus during halftime of people doing that, using the restroom, getting something to drink, especially when it's, you know, we've done some games that have been like championship games or we just did the... Um, Golden State Warriors versus uh, San Antonio uh, Spurs game up in Oakland, California, which is a big, it was a big record-setting game. So nobody moved during the first half. So, you know, you think to yourself, what's going to happen here? But they all stay. I mean, you know, people don't, they don't move. I think, you know, they, when you, when you hear that somebody's going to be floating in, in a stadium, <laughs> it seems to it seems to intrigue people. I mean, based on my experience, like surprisingly, people don't they stuck with us. I mean, we've always had like I would say probably about a ninety five percent retention rate in the wow. stadiums and the arenas. Hmm, that's wow. amazing. So, do you, do you have a background in directing or anything like that? How did you how did you learn to study all these angles? Just from doing it a really long time. You know, when you when you start at five years old, uh, it gives you time. And even starting to do shows professionally at 12, it gives you time to learn stuff uh, without being in the real world, so to speak. So, and because I was very driven and just, I mean, I would search out information on all of that and study all of that. I mean, it was, you know, if, if uh, you know, I studied that more than I did my, my you know, high school uh, textbook. So I just, I put a lot of time over a lot of years into that. And then, you know, the more, I always tell young magicians, you know, perform as much as you can. Get out there and do it as much as you can in every, in every place that you can. Because, and then be a sponge. Because that experience is going to really teach you what to do, what not to do, and, and how to make it work. And, and, you know, for me, that was, that was most helpful. I was able to do a lot of shows from a really young age and always had my, my kind of eyes open as to what was working and what wasn't working and what did I need to make better. And um, to this day, I'm like that. I, I, I give notes on every show that we do to my team. Every show, even if we do a two-month run somewhere, at the end of the two months, the last show, I still give notes after the last show. I mean, it's always about directing and adjusting. And, but, yeah, just a lot of time, a lot of effort put into that over a lot of years. Did you ever struggle with allowing yourself to be successful and not sabotaging yourself? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, it, it, it's so tough to succeed in in well, in so many businesses in general, but I think in entertainment, it's just there's no defined path to being a successful performer. I think it was it was you know it was a challenge. For, as, you know, there's always ups and downs, and, and you have to figure out your own path. And you know, for me, I spent so much time trying to figure out ways to push ahead. I never, you know, no, I never thought about anything but trying to push myself forward. And and I've loved it so much that you know my love for it. I think would never let me try and, you know, try and even subconsciously, subconsciously do that. It's just, there's nothing I'd rather be doing in my day than, than doing magic 
or figuring out new ways to take magic to people or watching people respond to magic. And so I, I think that drives me and has always been, you know, my main, my main kind of mindset and focus. Are, are there specific aspects of magic that appeal to you more than others? Like, do you do you have strength in like sleight of hand, uh, optical illusions? Like, is there specific fields within magic that you you enjoy? So yeah, absolutely. So I started out with sleight of hand. I think that's where a lot of people start, and that's the small stuff, you know, card card tricks and you know tricks with coins and small objects, and and I still love that. I mean, to me, it's still. Uh, even on my desk where, where, you know, I'm working all the time, I'll have a deck of cards or coins and I'll just, you know, fumble with them in between, in between, um, you know, creating proposals or creating illusion designs uh, just to keep my fingers moving. But, but primarily now, I work in the field of illusions, which is the larger scale magic, making people appear and disappear, walking through the walls, you know, levitating in the air. And, and that was always my goal. From the time I was a kid, I knew I wanted I wanted a big show. That was always that that was just always there was just something about that that I knew that I wanted. So I would have to tell you that that's probably my favorite. My favorite thing is creating these large pictures on stage, and that's definitely what I'm. I love close up magic as well, but but creating those large pictures on stage with large illusions, boy, I love that. So when you were transitioning from amateur magician to professional. How much of, like, Hollywood did you kind of factor into your career? Like, did you always know that you wanted to work specifically with magic in Hollywood, or did you kind of end up merging the two? Well, you know, it was always... Television was always part of the goal, because in order to reach a mass audience, you you really need... You know, television has to be part of the equation. Fortunately for me, when I was a senior in college, um, NBC invited, invited me to be part of a show called The World's Most Dangerous Magic, and they flew me and my team, we were all living in Pittsburgh at the time, they flew us out to L.A., and we taped this, it was for a special, an hour-long special, we taped this, this very dangerous escape. From doing that, I fell in love with, you know, even more, the idea of putting magic on television, and, you know, and that really got my feet wet to the whole process. So when I graduated college, three months later, three months after that, for me, that answered the question is what am, uh, of what am I going to do next? You know, that, that already put it in my mind that, that's it. Now it's time to move to LA and, and keep pushing for this. So, about five months after uh, graduating college, I, I moved to LA and, and with the with the ultimate goal of you know getting more magic on television and 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 learning everything I could about television. You know, from be, you can only learn you know certain things from being here and seeing things and, and and meeting people and getting their experiences. That's what I wanted. So you know, yeah, that's that was from the time I I was in college. That was a very big piece of, of, of my goal. I find your shows very fascinating, very interesting, and almost a breath of fresh air in this tired world of entertainment. It, like, you captivate me, whether, whether I watch your YouTube videos or I watch you on TV. I don't flip channels. I don't turn it off. I don't go out and do whatever. You keep me as an audience viewer, and that's a tremendously neat thing to watch. Well, I appreciate that. that, that you just made my day here. That makes me... I'm very happy to hear. That's why I do what I do. For me, it's never about, I, like I said earlier, it's never about, look what I can do. You know, aren't I, you know, look, isn't it great that I can do this? You know, it's all about, you know, hearing what you just said, hearing that people enjoy the work and have fun watching the magic. And, you know, I think that's, you know, for as long as magic's been around, it's still relatively rare. I mean, there's not, 
with the exception of Masters of Illusion and a couple of other shows, there's not a lot of places to see magic on television. There's not a lot of shows that are really touring the country. You know, so it's still, seeing magic is still somewhat of, a, of an event. So, you know, I, I, I think that, um, that's why I'm so glad we're into our third season. It's, it's you know, giving magic this, this visibility, I think, is, is, is so important. So I'm so glad you, you know, are enjoying watching it. Yeah, when you did the necklace, like the disappearing necklace thing, that was completely crazy. Like when the girl was inside the box wearing the necklace that you had taken off of one of the other audience members, I was just completely taken away by that too. So, I mean, these, it's crazy. The illusions, I love them. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so er earlier you were mentioning, uh, mentioning some of the valuable things that you've learned. Uh, one of the things that we like to do before we kind of wrap things up is we, we, we like to ask professionals if they had any advice or, uh, to, to new amateurs or anything that they wish they had known before starting getting into the business. Well, uh, yeah, I have a couple of pieces of advice that I, that I usually like to tell people. And one of them is, be very, with whatever you want to do, be very persistent and be very proactive. Don't wait for anything to happen. Make it happen yourself. You know, don't wait for the phone to ring. Pick up the phone and make the call. I think that's really important. And I think in today's world, where everybody's so connected to everybody, I mean, with the technology we have, that I didn't have growing up. You know, there was no internet, there was no YouTube, there was, you couldn't email somebody, you couldn't, you had to write a letter. I had to write, you know, literally, I had a typewriter, I would type letters to people. I mean, do it. I mean, with everything we have, it's just, it's just a shame not to take advantage of that if there's something that you want. So many ways to explore it. So be persistent, be proactive, and, and go for it. The second thing is something I was told a long time ago, and it always stuck in my mind, and it is this saying, it is, don't know what you can't do. And I had to think about that. And when I thought about it, I realized it meant don't put a limit on yourself. If, if I did, for example, when I drove out to California after college, drove across the country, I didn't know anybody in California. I didn't have, I didn't, it wasn't like I was, you know, driving out and had, you know, uh, all these, you know, shows lined up or anything. I just knew it was where I had to go. Now, I could have looked at that and said, Oh, it, you know, it's 3,000 miles away from everybody I know. I don't know anybody. It's going to take five days to drive there. I could have put all these limits on myself, and, and it would have changed my life for the negative because, it, it, you know, it, it was such a positive experience, a, a positive learning experience being out here and absorbing, absorbing all of this. But anyways, point being is, you know, don't put those limits on yourself. Don't know what you can't do. Be smart about it. I mean, I didn't just... You know, I knew I had a place to stay. I knew, you know, I was smart. I knew I had the map figured out, but I didn't talk myself out of it because I wanted to do it. So I find that people, you know, sometimes people are their own worst enemies. So if there's something you really want to do, uh, don't know what you can't do. Michael, where, where can people find you if they want to get more information about you? My website is michaelgrandinetti.com. Uh, and then social media on Facebook, I'm Michael Grandinetti. On Twitter, I'm Grandinetti MG. On Instagram, I'm Michael Grandinetti. And I always welcome people to, you know, connect on social media, get in touch. You know, any questions, let me know. It's always, you know, it's always good to uh, to hear from people out there. That's fantastic. And Masters of Illusion will be premiering on the CW May 20th at 8 p.m. I seriously suggest you guys all check it out. It's a really, it's a fun show. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's hosted by Dean Kane. Filmed a lot. It's filmed in Hollywood. It's fantastic. I really cannot wait for season three, Michael. Well, I, I hope you enjoy it. And 
guys, thank you so much. It was so much fun talking to you today. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to have me on.